science story, huh? In 1986, I was sat on top of an active nuclear reactor inside a nuclear submarine holding a paintbrush. <laughs> And I don't know if anyone here has ever been inside a nuclear uh, submarine or inside the reactor room of a nuclear submarine. <laughs> But it kind of, I don't, know, I don't know if anyone here is a science fiction fan, but it kind of looks like the inside of the TARDIS, okay? The reactor looks like the doctor's uh, control panel. It's kind of that shape and that size. And I don't think I've broken any official secrets telling you that. I had to sign the Official Secrets Act every year while I worked in the shipyard. Um, But basically, I'm now the editor of uh, a program called Horizon, which is a BBC Two science strand. Uh, we're 52 years old. Uh, we're the longest science documentary series in the world. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take you on a slightly meandering, surreal tr uh, trip uh, to explain how I ended up as the editor of that show. So, I just need to take you back in time a little bit before I join the shipyard. I come from a place called... Barrow in Furness, uh, in Cumbria, which uh, was in Lancashire when I was born, so forgive my accent, but um, the thing with Barrow is it's the only place in Britain that builds submarines, and um, um, uh, you know, lots of people in the town do that, when I, certainly when I was uh, a boy, it was the main employer uh, there. I come from um, um, a council estate. And uh, I had a very, uh, it was a great childhood, but with not very much money at all. Um, um, I was also very, 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 very bad at school. Um, I wasn't naughty, I just um, uh, never applied myself and I had really no interest in, in education at all. Um, it's not something I'm particularly proud of, but um, I'm just being honest. I, I was obsessed with two things throughout my childhood. Comics and television. Okay? That was it. I, I uh, collected uh, comics voraciously. I, I, had, I still have tens of thousands of them in my parents' uh, attic. And I loved TV. I just really, really loved television. I mean... I used to record everything and, and listen back to it. And when I say record, remember this is the kind of uh, early 80s and, you know, video, t video cassettes were, were, we wouldn't have got any such thing uh, for my childhood. So I mean on audio cassettes. I, I taped television programs on audio cassettes so I could listen back to them. One person in our street, 
Gary Bundy, the Bundys, um, they had a video recorder, and when they went on holiday, we borrowed it. And it was kind of shared around the, you know, that was it. You had your two or three days with a, bloody, with a video recorder. Um, anyway, so I just recorded everything. I listened, I loved television, and I loved comics and superheroes. And that was um, how I kind of, uh, I had a quote, I, I can't remember it exactly, but I think it was, um, it's on my, uh, my note there. It's from, um, I will read it out actually, because I think it was, it's quite important. From a guy called Art Spiegelman. I, I don't know if you know him. He wrote a very famous comic book called Mouse. Um, and, and Art Spiegelman said, um, comics are a gateway drug to literacy. And I, I kind of believe that. I learned, you know, everything I needed to learn from reading comics. Um, anyway, so I'll, I'll fast forward slightly. I, um, I then um, got back into the ship. I, 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 sorry, uh, what, what I should say is, is boy, uh, mostly boys, sometimes girls, when they left school in Barrow and Furnace, you did two things. You either went to Sixth Form College or you went into the shipyard. And um, as I say, I left school with no qualifications at all um, in anything. Okay? I was in the bottom sets of every subject. I, th I, I think I may have been in, set, we have four sets in the UK. Set four is the bottom set. I think I was in set three for English. That was the only one. But uh, I left school with nothing like that. So I went straight into the shipyard. My mum said, you know, get yourself a trade. Uh, that's what you should do. Go and do an apprenticeship. That's what, so that's what I did. So I went into the shipyard. Uh, and I became a painter and decorator. And I'll just say now, for the record, the decorator bit. When you're a painter and decorator, the decorator bit is very, very, very important, okay? So, all right, 95% of the time, you paint submarines. Black on the outside, white on the inside. And occasionally, you will have a splash of blue for the odd electric box that appears here and there. Um, but there is 5 or 10% of the time where you will go and you will, you will decorate an office. You know, there are office, offices in a shipyard and stuff. You will paint a door, you'll hang some wallpaper, you'll do that sort of thing. So I'm a fully qualified painter and decorator, okay? I just need to point that out to you. Um, so, so how do you paint a submarine, okay? Or how do you paint a submarine uh, in the 80s, um, um, and how does it work and what do you do? So I'm just going to, I've got a prop. I brought a prop and I, I know props aren't really allowed here. So I will explain the prop uh, very clearly to you. But you must see this um, because it will give you, it will ha it, I hope it will kind of uh, paint a picture. This is my actual bag, okay? This has been on um, four different classes of submarines in the UK. And I had it from when I was uh, 16 to when I left. Weirdly, I've written Stephen Crabtree on it, and given only my mother and older sister call me Stephen, I'm not quite sure what was going on there. But there's your, there, that, that's the bag, that's a painter's bag. And what you do, or what you certainly do when you're a 16-year-old boy and you're a painter, is you, you fill it with these, okay? You fill it with comics, okay? And you can get quite a lot of comics in a bag like that. And then you hide the comics by putting tins of paint on top of it and all your brushes and things like that. And then you walk onto a submarine. No one knows any difference. You find the bit of the submarine you've been told that you've got to paint. And 
Submarine paint dries by uh, chemistry, so you don't need air or light, so it's a chemical reaction. So you mix up your paint, and what you do is you paint like hell. You really, really go for it, and you paint an enormous big section, and then you have to wait for that to dry. So you do literally watch paint dry, okay? And what do you do when you watch paint dry? You get your comics out, you read your comics, fantastic, you know? Two hours, paint's dry, give it another coat, and that is the process of painting submarines. And I think we looked into it once, and from memory, I think that every part of a submarine has something like 14 coats of paint on it. You know, it's something, it's just relentless. It is a relentless job. So, okay, so... So what I did, I went on, I read comics. Um, um, that's how I uh, sort of spent the day, um, really. So I'm going to fast forward to, uh, slightly now, and, uh, and we're going to go into the 1990s, and I'm still doing the same thing. That's the same bag that was with me. Um, but now I'd moved on to Tridents. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you here are aware of Trident submarines. They're very uh, controversial here in the UK. That first one... That's mine, okay? I painted that, okay? I just want you to know that. Now, I clearly didn't paint it by myself. It's 150 metres long, and it's about eight storeys high. It is enormous, okay? But I uh, worked on the, on the first Trident, and I'll just give you a little uh, piece of trivia. That Trident was launched by um, Princess Diana, okay? Lady Diana, Princess Diana. When she launched that ship... Um, she was housed behind bulletproof glass. You know, there's always protesters and people that turn up, and they put big bulletproof glass around her. I painted the frames that held <laughs> the bulletproof glass. Okay, just for the. And there is a photograph of that somewhere. It was in our local newspaper, and I'm like, that's my handiwork there. Okay, so. Um, so, yeah, so what do you do? So, so, so it's 1992. So, sorry, so it's, it is, it's 1992. Uh, I'm on a trident. I'm still smuggling comics on. But I'm also, um, I've, I'm, I'm probably in my early 20s now, so I start to smuggle something else on. And I'm going to bring you, this is the actual copy that I had from 1992, okay? It's The New Scientist, Okay. And this, is, this magazine, is, is this exact magazine, is one of the mo has one of the most profound effects on me, I, I, and which is why I'm here talking to you. On page 18, I may even know the page number, there was, a, there was an article in it. And the article said, how to design an alien. Okay, so here's a kid who's been reading about Spider-Man and Superman and Guardians of the Galaxy, or, or whatever you want to call and there's an actual proper scientific magazine with a thing in it that's like all the other stuff around me, but it's actually, it's real, you know. And it, it completely transformed me. And I just thought, this is amazing that people, well, people can really do this stuff. You can actually take this amazing kind of um, um, science fiction stuff and you can actually make, like, real stuff out of it. it. It just, I remember, it just had such an enormous effect on me. And uh, 92, so, so, you know, look, you know, some of my best friends, so my brother still works in the shipyard, um, you know, it wasn't for me. I needed to get out and do something else. And, um, and I'd kind of been inspired by this kind of stuff, and I thought, well, right, let's go and really 
get some education. I know, I'll go and study uh, science or philosophy, or I had this, these really interesting... There's a, there was a, a, a fantastic uh, a course on philosophy in Lancaster University, and I, right, I'm going to do this. So I kind of wrote off all these application forms, and remember, I, I'm qualified in one thing, and that's I'm a painter and decorator, Okay. I'm not get, getting into any university to study any sort of uh, a, a proper subject uh, like that. And eventually I decided to go to art college because art college will take me. And, I, I, you know, you never know, I might be able to draw comics and I really love comics. So I go to art college and I find out very quickly I'm really rubbish at drawing. So that's gone as well. And, um, and what happens is I... I um, I find there's a filmmaking course and I kind of start making student films and what have you and realise I'm actually got a, I've got a, uh, I'm quite good at it, right? Okay, so I, uh, and I realise also I don't really like the drama stuff and, the, and the, I like factual stuff, I like making documentaries and I very quickly realise that that is, I found a calling for want of a better word, so I made lots of films at, at college and what have you, and um, uh, eventually leave college and apply to do work experience, um, mostly at the BBC. I did uh, jobs here and there uh, as a runner, but I, it was the work experience that um, I really um, learned about television as a sort of putting your toe in the water, really. And um, I was funding this, it was really interesting, my mum was right actually, the trade, becoming a painter and decorator really was the best thing to do because I could fund doing work experience by painting kitchens uh, of an evening and weekends and that's how I kind of funded uh, these months. I moved to London, in fact, I'll just show you, I've got to say, I had a... I I had a bed sit in Clapham, I had a bed sit in South London. It was really... um, a wardrobe. I'm six feet tall, and you could do that and touch both walls, okay? And I'm really not lying. And the bed was so narrow, you could only lie flat. You, could, you couldn't turn over because you could... I mean, and I moved into this thinking I'd be there for maybe six weeks, you know, and I think in total I was there for nine months or something. But I was, fun, I was just obsessed with this idea of trying to get into telly and trying to make factual, factual TV programmes. And, um, and I remember I, the, the money was starting to run out and the, the, um, uh, you know, I, uh, the work experience, you couldn't, that was starting to disappear. I'd sent my CV to everyone I could possibly think of. Um, um, and I just remember there was, a, there, was a, there was a day, there was a day when I had, um, I think I had two pounds left, okay? I had a, 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 a pay-as-you-go phone. I'd sent my CV everywhere, I had a page-you-go phone, and I had two quid. And, um, and that was it. And I thought, this is, this is it. If, 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 you know, what am I going to do? So I, I went to the, the corner shop, and I bought a, t- a, 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 a bottle of vegetable oil and a, and a loaf of bread, and I ate fried bread for, like, the entire week. That was it. And I thought, when this fried bread runs out, that's it. I'm going to go back uh, to my mum and dad's house and I've done it. I've tried everything I can do. And um, I'd, as I said, I'd done all this work experience and I'd sent my CV and, um, and then the phone rang and um, I was still, you know, three quarters of the way through the fried bread or whatever, but the phone rang and um, it was someone from 
Horizon from the BBC. It was a lady called Bettina Lerner, and Bettina uh, was then the deputy editor. She was soon to be the editor. And she said, look, your CV has arrived on my desk. Come in. Come into Horizon and meet me. And I thought, wow, this is a, a big thing. So I, I'm sure it was a day or two later, but I eventually found myself um, in the office of the editor of Horizon. And, she's, and I walked through the office and she said, before, I, before you say anything at all, I need to make something very, very clear to you. There is no job here for you. Okay. Um, but I've never met anyone who's painted a nuclear submarine. What's it like? And, you know, I, I took a moment to think and... I, and and I thought, this is probably going to be the most important story I ever say. And so I took a moment and I said, well, Bettina, <laughs> on Christmas Eve in 1986, I was sat on top of an active nuclear reactor inside a nuclear submarine holding a paintbrush. Do you know what the inside of a nuclear submarine is like, Bettina? It's a bit like the TARDIS, you know, that thing. And I essentially told Bettina, to all intents and purposes, the story I've just told you tonight. And I walked out of that office with a job in the BBC Science Department. And 17 years later, I'm now the editor of Verizon. And that's my story. That was Steve Crabtree. Steve has produced and directed much of the BBC's science, arts, and business programming and made programs across all four BBC television channels. He is now the editor of flagship BBC science strand Horizon, now in its 52nd year. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Hackney Round Chapel for hosting the show, to the British Science Association for being amazing partners, and to Paint for being fun to watch dry. Thanks for listening. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.